Hey, Stephanie, what's the giveaway this week? So this week, we are partnering with Beta to give away the Dolby Dimension headphones. What are they? Did you try them on? How epic are they? Yeah, I already used them. They're, they're incredible. <laughs> Don't try and steal them from me. They're mine now. I was just trying to set you up, but they're awesome. They're yeah, synced with couple, my phone, so... We have a couple of pairs that we're testing, and they're uh, the best headphones I've ever used. And I've had uh, you know noise-canceling headphones yep. in the past and a whole collection of different things, AirPods. And uh, these headphones are the best. Yeah. They're awesome. They're super comfy, and I really love the Life Mix feature where you can toggle on and off the sound environment. So you can be listening to your music at full blast, full noise cancellation, you're just in your own environment, and then you can actually turn down your music and start absorbing the outside environment sound as well. So if Grayson's crying, if Chad's trying to get a hold of me, if I need to hear something, doorbell ring, you can turn it down slightly so you can hear both, but it sounds great and And super fun. All you have to do to enable that is just tap twice on the headphones and instantly you can hear everything that's going on around you. So that's one of many awesome features. There's probably 12 other features or something like that. And we are giving away a brand new set of these headphones. Two. We are giving away two, two? sets of these headphones. I can't headphones. believe it. Not one, but two. So go to our giveaway. The link is in the show notes and try to win them. Yeah. Thanks to Beta and thanks to Dolby for helping support Mission Daily and providing our listeners with awesome contests and giveaways so we can give back to you. So if you want to enter for a chance to win, go to the link in the show notes and you can also get more entries for referring guests and friends and family. So check that out and enter to win now. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you are listening to Mission Daily. Selected as Best of 2018 by Apple, Mission Daily is the number one podcast for accelerated learning. In her nearly 30-year career, Elisa Steele has learned a lot about what it means to be a leader. She's had stints at Microsoft, Skype, Yahoo, and AT&T. Currently, she's serving as the CEO of Namely, an HR software that provides payroll and HR management services to thousands of diverse businesses. Through all of that, Elisa has zeroed in on one particularly useful superpower, the ability to actively listen to what her employees need. In this episode, Chad and Elisa sit down to discuss how to be a better leader through active listening, how that can lead to authentic storytelling that will empower your business and brand, and why you need to embrace the idea of reverse mentors. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Like a little weight off. Buddy. Yeah. You can relax now. Yeah. Um, well, thanks for sitting down and talking. You bet. Um, this is, we're live, we're recording, and the whole goal with these interviews and these conversations is to um, just explore. So... I want to hear about your career, your business. Uh, where'd you grow up? I'm psyched to be here. Um, I grew up right outside of Boston in a town called Andover, Mass. Big town? I'm trying to think Andover. It's, it's not a there. big town. It was kind of the you know, a great family town for, gotcha. you know, I grew up with two siblings and my parents kind of picked this town as the place that they wanted us to go to school and grow up in and kind of had settled roots there. And what did your parents do? for a living? Well, we had a really traditional family. Um, My dad had a corporate executive job and he got up every morning and went somewhere to go to work that we didn't necessarily understand. And my mom was a stay-at-home mom. And then later in life, as we became teenagers, kind of everything changed. And my dad had a career change and went into kind of his passion that he had had all his life instead of just waking up and going to a corporate job. And then my mom also went back to work and started finding herself again. So it was really pretty awesome. We went through a change towards that that moment in life. 
And that's really interesting because I think sometimes parents can uh, do the same thing for their entire lives and reinvention is so important. So what was that like seeing your parents reinvent themselves uh, for you? Well, it was exciting. I didn't necessarily understand it at the time because I was just about to go to college and sure. start on my own independence. But I reflect on it now. I'm, um, you know, I'm over 50. I've got two teenage kids and it's time for me congrats, too, to, re- to reinvent myself. So I look back and say my parents had the passion and the courage to do that. And particularly my dad, who made a really risky career change to go follow his passion. And it was a super good decision for him. And it was when he really met his peak in life in terms of his professional career. And what was he doing before that? And what was he doing after he made the change? So before he was a corporate executive um, at a company called Texaco. Some people will know it in this country. Um, And, you know, he was a really, really good sales and marketing leader. So he got promotions all the time and we moved all over New England actually until we settled into Andover. But his passion his whole life was financial investments and he just had nothing. He grew up on the streets of Philadelphia. He had no resources. He had no wealth. He had no really even parental help in getting into college. He got into college with a full scholarship based on his academic achievement, which was all from his own personal motivation. And so he had learned how to scrape and save and make the right investment so that he could take care of his family. Right. And he learned a ton. And so then he put that to work later in life and changed his career and went into financial services and became, you know, someone who advised others, both companies and individuals on what to do to create wealth for themselves, no matter how much money they were making or not making. Right. And he excelled and soared and, you know, he sought out to this day in his network as the person everybody wants advice from because he knows how to really save and do the right things with money so that you can create safety for yourself and your family. Do you remember seeing him before and after he made that transition? Was he happier afterwards? Was he, you know, filled with more energy or? Yeah, I mean, he never said these words to me, Chad, but I think he taught me the biggest thing in my own life, which is follow your passion. Right. Do your homework, follow your passion, do the things that you really believe in and all the rest comes. Right. And we were talking about that before we started recording where you're on the board of two publicly traded companies. I think you advise other companies. You're also the CEO of Namely, which is a recent transition for you. That's a lot of different things. There's a lot of different balls that are you know, really high profile to juggle. You mentioned that you are passionate about it, but how else do you do it all? Because that's that's a lot. Well, I don't know how I do it all. I just love what I do. So it all fits in. It's a big puzzle. Life is a big puzzle to me. You just put the pieces together and sometimes it fragments and it breaks and you find a new piece and how you're going to fit it in. Sure. And it's not just about what you're doing professionally, but what you're doing personally. I'm a mom. I have two teenage children. I definitely, you know, quote unquote, want to fit them in. Right. And so to me, it's all about prioritization every single day. I don't really believe in this concept of work-life balance. What I've learned over the years is the minute that I finally let that go. Mm. Early in my career, I'd be, oh, I'm going to achieve balance like nobody else. And I'm going to map out everything and do a good schedule. And, you know, it doesn't work that way because you wake up in the morning and things change. Life happens and it's not on your calendar. Right. And so when I finally said, you know what, it's not about this balancing act. It's about prioritizing every day. Mm-hmm. What's important? What are your long-term goals? So you fit that in. But what happened this morning that makes you need to juggle something differently? Whether it's my kid forgot his lunch right. and I need to fix that. Or it's that I have a situation at work 
that I didn't anticipate with an employee or a customer, and it's really important, and I need to go go tend to that. So yeah. to me, it's all around ruthless prioritization. And in the end, that means that you're getting the right quote unquote balance because you're just doing the things that are most important in that moment. And it sounds like you're cultivating a mindset that's more adaptable to change, right? Because if that's what you're practicing every single day, you're becoming more uh, maybe like fluid or more receptive to what's happening. I feel like you're probably more engaged because you're taking things as they come and nothing phases you. Or because when I try to plan things too rigor- rigorously, I fall into this trap where I start to get anxious, you know, when things aren't like tracking on a perfect timeline. Yeah. And, or someone throws you off and you're yeah, like, hold on, yeah. that wasn't on the calendar. And I, I have to say, I had a very big moment where I let that go. I was sort of midway through my career. I remember it actually, because I was at the time in one of the biggest jobs I had ever had. And um, something had happened in that job that made me realize I'm not doing this right. Mm. And I finally let it go. And now I feel like it's much more natural for me. Right. I'm not trying to make it sound easy because it's, it's actually <laughs> really, really hard, but it's more natural for me. I was driven a lot by external factors, I think, earlier in my career. What's the right thing to do? How should you do it? What do people expect? How do you make sure you know your your personal life doesn't bleed into your professional life? And, and you're the and only one that's gonna know, it, right? It's, it, yeah. yeah. And so it was actually very liberating and stopped being driven by guilt. Yes. You know, what should I do? <laughs> right. Um, what should I plan for? Um, what should I not, you know, be um, open about? Because, you know, today I kind of call it our lifestyle work style. Mm-hmm. Today, work and life, are it's all the same thing. I mean, here we are at your incredible podcast. In, in, in the garage, it, converted garage. Yep. In your garage, right? Yep. And you live your life just two steps away yep. uh, in your home. It's so designed that way, too, because we, tr- we tried other... It's awesome. It's awesome. But, you know, 10 years ago or 15 years ago, life and work weren't weren't really coinciding like that, or at least in my mind, my professional life was so different than me at home being a mom. And that just drove a lot of separation, a lot of guilt and a lot of, hey, every morning I wake up and I feel unsuccessful. Yes. Now this mindset is more every day I wake up and I just get done what I think I should get done. And by definition... Yeah. It's successful. It sounds more resourceful, more forgiving, because that's something that I'm I have been struggling with, which is so it's basically like the de facto mental state for me is guilt if I'm not working. And it's something I'm struggling with right now where, you know, I have a lot of people counting on me. We're doing great. It's exciting. But I find a lot of my like purpose in work and working 12 hours a day. How How do you think about, you know, should I scale that back? Should I not be should I be able to relax more outside of work or Is that just something that's necessary in the early days? What do you think? Well, I think you hit on it. I think it's all about purpose. If you're not driving to that bigger purpose for yourself, you're probably not getting the fulfillment or even have the drive. It doesn't matter if it's 12 hours or 14 hours or three hours. What matters is- And it's not forever. There's like, there's time off and stuff, but sometimes you just feel like you have to get this stuff done. Look, I think it's different earlier in your career than later in your career. And um, I think that's just life because you're trying to- drive to what you want to get to. And the Mm -hmm. less experience you have, the more that you have to experiment and commit to yourself and And make up for it by just, (laughs) you know, get to that next goal. Whereas, you know, I'm later in my career and the things that I'm doing is because lucky me, I love it. So I get to do it. But I do remember moments of, you know, constant conflict on that because you're trying to achieve that next thing. Right. And let's go back to kind of the beginning of your uh, career, which I think you got started in sales, right? 
I, oh yeah, I so started in sales. Where where was that, and what was the uh, the earliest sales job you had? And I'll share I'll share my early sales jobs, which were super embarrassing. If yours are well, I guess yours my, might be super legit though. Uh, no, know. no, no. I guess my first sales job, you know, was started as early in high school, is when I worked at the ice cream parlor down the shop from our home and wanted to um, serve people doubles instead of singles right. or upgrade them to a Sunday. <laughs> or you know, I remember those days on those hot summer days working at the Rose Glen Dairy in Andover, Massachusetts, of lines and lines of people who came to get homemade ice cream and how enjoyable it was for me. To make people smile, giving them that little bit of a bigger scoop or whatever it was that kind of delighted them. And I just really, really enjoy serving people and and being a part of the best feeling. And so when I did graduate from school, I knew I wanted to go into sales. One, yes, I liked serving people, as I said, but honestly, I wanted to be financially independent. I you know, saw in the world that if I didn't figure out a way to be financially independent, that I wasn't going to have choice. Right. And I wanted to be able to make choice on my own as an independent woman. And so I thought the first thing I needed to do is start to accumulate independence through accumulating some kind of savings. Sure. And so I went into sales and I worked for, at the time, AT&T business services, selling technology solutions to businesses in the Bay Area. Oh, very cool. And um, it was pretty awesome because at that time, the company had an incredible training program for young people coming out of school, training them how to sell, how to make decisions, how to overcome conflict, how to work with teams. It was just amazing, my time at at and and the foundation of learning that they gave me as a professional. But when I did join, you know, I joined as this associate account executive and I got to spend the day shadowing all of these really experienced account executives and learning how they sold these big solutions to customers. And um, I got bored. I got bored really, really fast. And what I learned was kind of the art of selling is not just about having a good relationship with your customers, but how you manage your bag. Right. And everybody's on a quota and everyone's managing their bag. And so all these account executives had whatever number of counts, 12, 20 accounts, whatever. But of course, they spent their time on the top 20, 25% because they spent sure. their time on the growing accounts, the ones that they knew they could land and expand, the right. ones that they could have, you know, overachieve their quota. And I noticed that, oh, the bottom three or four accounts across all these AEs in this sales organization are getting no attention. So I started doing some analysis on those accounts. Well, they're all, they're not all up and to the right. They're all losing revenue every single day. They're getting no attention. So I went to my sales manager and I said, his name was Ed. And I said, hey, Ed, I know I'm your green AE, but if you give me all the dog accounts, the bottom three accounts for all the AEs, I'll go out and sell something. And so he looked at me like, oh, you young, naive girl. (laughs) I'm happy to do that. Because of course, then all the AEs, they're Numbers Solving looked better because yeah. they took the drag off of their mo- what we called modules, right? Yeah. So I took all the dog accounts and I got three bottom accounts from every AE in the team. And then I got in my car and I started visiting all these customers. And it was awesome because one, I got to hear from these customers why they weren't happy. And right. two, I got to figure out, well, how can I make them happy? Well, I didn't turn them all around, but I turned some of them around and that showed in the numbers. And that year... I got best best rookie of the year award um, in the company I in terms it. of selling, and I learned right then. Like, look, when there's conflict or trouble, don't run, run into it, don't run away from it. Right, you Ask got a customer and... who's not happy, don't 
be fearful of it. Right. Call them up. Visit, get in the car. Go visit them. Take them to lunch. Talk to them. Right. There's no business problem you can't solve. Completely. And I, I think fear stops so many different salespeople from just having more conversations because you know you start to get nervous about, well, what are they thinking? You make all these assumptions that might not even be accurate. And I think when you get to the actual conversation, what you find is people that might want to buy more, people that might, might want to buy something else, um, but they just haven't felt like they've been listened to maybe ever. Um, and everything's changed about selling in terms of your ability to provide data and insights right. and to track and understand behavior online. Sure. Obviously, everything's changed. And when I was an associate AE, there was no ability to do that. You know, we, we had just gotten email accounts. Mm -hmm. We didn't have that kind of marketing and sales mechanism with the internet. But that being said, I don't think anything has changed that humans buy from humans. Right. And at the end of the day, if you're going to put your bet into a company, you want to know that there's a person on the other side of that phone or, or meeting sure. who yeah. cares about you, who wants you to be successful, who's going to be accessible to help you solve problems. And I think that that's a real key to continuing to sell, even in today's SaaS environment. Yeah. And Let's talk a little bit about how you went from sales into marketing. Was that the next big jump or what was the next big jump uh, in your career? It was the next big jump. I went from sales to marketing and I went kind of kicking and screaming. <laughs> um, the reason that I did it was twofold. From a professional standpoint, I had just joined JavaSoft. It was the growing, amazing technology that Sun Microsystems had started and developed a separate organization for that needed a lot of management and um, strategy and sure. how we were going to get this technology out to the marketplace and to the world. And I joined I joined them in a sales capacity. And the um, leader of the group at the time, after I'd been there for just a couple months, said, hey, Elisa, like, what we really need is scale. We, are, we have a chaotic environment with all of this growth. We have no strategy in marketing. We don't have any ability to rally our customers to understand our trends. Um, will you take this marketing job. I'm like, well, I've never done marketing in my life. Why would I take this marketing job? Um, and plus you're on a commission, you're in sales. You have to think about now, how do I go from, you know, trying to overachieve my quota and get to my accelerators to this salaried job doing marketing every right. day. But it turned out that I was pregnant and oh, I didn't wow. want to travel anymore. And I thought, wow, like this is an opportunity for me to be more strategic and an opportunity for me to not think about what do I need to do with my career now that I can't travel? So I actually made the shift. And what I found was that going into marketing, if I loved that single person giving them an extra little scoop at the ice cream store. Right. Now I, you could. Impact. I really loved the zip code that I could manage when I was in sales and then got promoted to a sales manager. Now I had a territory and a region. Now I could really affect things in a different, more sure. impactful way. Now, all of a sudden, I found myself in this marketing job realizing I could affect the market. I could help every salesperson be more successful. I could help every customer like or love us more. And I could really make an impact at a totally different level. And then I was hooked. I stayed in marketing, <laughs> you know, after that until I ultimately became a CEO. But I I did every job in marketing that you could name. And so speaking of, let's just talk about two of those jobs and then we'll uh, move on. But this, as a CMO of Yahoo and the CMO of Skype, I feel like those are, those had to be really exciting roles. Would you describe them as exciting, exhausting, exhilarating? What was that like being at those companies? They were both intense jobs. Yahoo was the most intense job 
I had ever had. And mm. probably the biggest job at that point in my career at a totally different level. Um, and Skype was also intense, but they were also incredibly, both of them, incredibly fun and exhilarating. Sure. Because the impact you can have at scale and the moves that you can make, very scary, right. but also <laughs> a lot of fun, like just <laughs> just really rewarding and what you could accomplish. And I don't mean me as an individual. I mean, the team, right? There's just this incredible opportunity at that level to collaborate with teams inside of marketing, outside of marketing, with product, with strategy, with sales, with operations, down to all of the people in the company trying to create this incredible consumer experience. So they were both intense jobs, a lot of fun and high risk. What's the biggest lesson that you could share from maybe like your time at Yahoo and then your time at Skype? My time at Yahoo, I, I think my biggest my biggest lesson at Yahoo was the power of culture. And, you know, I had worked for some amazing enterprise companies up until that point in time that had very unique, but also very collaborative cultures. And Yahoo was a whole different ballgame. Mm. And the culture of the company had grown up in the internet years, whereas my other companies I had worked for had had longer tenure or longer um, longer history. And Yahoo had um, just a whole different type of workforce and a whole different type of culture. And you and I understood then in making a transition as an executive from company A to company B, that your most important thing is not how smart you are, how good your strategy is, how great you hire for your team. Your most important thing is how do you acknowledge and integrate into the culture right. and be accepted by the larger community so that you can help influence change and drive the business results you want to drive. That was my biggest learning at Yahoo is the power of culture. My biggest learning at Skype was authentic storytelling. I had been in marketing jobs all the way through my career where there's always something in the product you want to not put at the forefront of your marketing, right? And at Skype, we dove in as a team and the amazing magic that happened between human connections on video. And at mm-hmm. the time, Skype was- It's brand new. In well, it of... was one of the most, uh, uh, magical is the only word I could use, one of the most magical technologies right. where you could really have that human connection when you weren't in the same place together. Completely, yeah. And so um, we started this, uh, instead of starting a marketing campaign, which I had done over and over, whatever company being a marketer, um, started digging into what are our consumers' experiences with this technology, and let's just tell those stories. Sure, unblemished, raw, not packaged up and produced. And I learned a ton because what happened in my um, tenure there at Skype is I learned the power of authenticity, which is actually, by the way, a lot easier than trying to drive all of the uh, the packaging that I had been doing up until that point. And I also learned with the power of authentic storytelling, it's actually that marketing is actually all about the product. And it was the first time I started um, really diving into product technology, getting very close with my engineering counterparts, because mm-hmm. it's the whole experience that right. you're providing in the digital world. It's not about the marketing arm and what used to be described Completely. as all of those promotional kind of opportunities. It's about that authentic experience from beginning to end in the digital world. And everyone on the team has insights to offer potentially about the product or like there's always, you know, people view the engineering team sometimes as like a separate entity, but 
those are the folks with insights on how to get the you know the product to basically spread virally or to get people to make more word of mouth recommendations like they're sitting on those insights sometimes so and we had a culture at skype that was so natural of using our product every day and everything that we did. Right. Whether it was the video capability, the chat capability. So people are going to come in and say, hey, I was using it this weekend uh, and this. All the time. Yeah. And the teams were dispersed all over the world. So we used Skype technology to connect everything that we did. Sure. Whether it was a live meeting, documents, collaboration, everything we did was on Skype. And so if you're you, forced to use your own product. It's powerful. You live and breathe it yeah. every single day. So it didn't, it wasn't a job to me. It was, a, it was just uh, a reflection of a lifestyle of a sure. digital lifestyle. And, and how do you make that as great as it can be? So kind of shifting gears here now to some of your experience on different boards of companies. And I know there's probably a lot that you can't share about that, but when it comes to being a board member how do you view that responsibility and that job? And um, how, how did you get started being, what was your first board and how did that come about? In terms of what I learned or what's most important um, from my perspective is, you know, you've been, usually if you're a board candidate, you've been in a number of C-level types of positions where you bring that experience and view to the boardroom. And when you're in a C-level role, everyone expects you to be you know, part of the job is to be articulate. <laughs> sure. And so you're always speaking, right? giving a lot of room for your team to speak, but you have to have a strategy and a position and be able to articulate, you know, what you're trying to accomplish in the um, executive staff, et cetera, et cetera. And you're usually doing public speaking as well. And what I learned moving into the boardroom is your biggest asset is how good of a listener you are. You don't go into the boardroom and start using these skills that you've been using around how you speak and how you articulate thoughts. You go into the boardroom and you listen Mm -hmm. and you listen to the executive team and you listen to the CEO and what do they need? What does that CEO need to be successful? How can you help? Mm -hmm. And what collective experience is at the table that can make that company and CEO better because you're there? So I think active listening is the most important thing. Are there any examples of active listening? And maybe there is like one story you can share where because of active listening, you solved a huge problem or because of active listening, you were able to uh, you know, achieve uh, an incredible quarter or something like that? Um, I would, you know, what comes to mind for me is when you don't. Oh, okay, <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> when you Which actually, like the real, that's the when, real question, when you, right? when you don't listen, <laughs> that's when you fail. Right. And I can, I can think of multiple situations right off the top of my head, whether it was me mm-hmm. not actually practicing what I believe or whether I saw other people doing it. And, you know, you tend to land flat on your face. We have a a situation uh, at one company right now where although there was a lot of coaching on, hey, like, you know, spend some time listening around what's going on before you form opinions and start sure. making changes. And this person just couldn't do it, didn't have the self-restraint to do it. And unfortunately, it's really backfiring now because this person is now seeing, oh, wait, I moved too quickly. I didn't get accepted. People don't understand where I'm coming from. So even though an incredibly smart idea could bring business benefit, these invisible cultural barriers are stopping that person Mm. from being successful. 
And so it's just true that, you know, culture is the most important thing in terms of bringing people together in a fruitful and rewarding way. Yeah. And then in terms of the boardroom, there is a board culture as well. You know, CEOs generally have some kind of unique personality. I mean, they're not the CEO because because they don't have a unique, amazing personality. So you have to understand that. And the board's biggest job while the CEO is in the chair is to help that CEO be successful. Mm -hmm. And how do you think about creating culture at Namely? Because you're, you're, I think you're four months into the role now? Or? No, actually, I've been there for almost a year. Okay, sorry, um, sorry. And I was on the board before that. So I'd really gotten to know the company. And Namely, I would say across all my experiences, although I've worked for many companies with strong cultures like a Skype or Yahoo or a Sun Microsystems, Namely has the most articulate culture that we live every day that I'm incredibly proud of that the team built this culture before I arrived. And I just felt that it really matched who I was and that I could fit into this culture pretty naturally. Mm-hmm. And we actually have a a, um, a motto around our culture that we call Be Human. And the Be Human motto, each of those letters stand for our values and what's important to us. For example, the B in Be Human stands for Be Yourself. We believe in diversity. We believe in diversity of color and gender and all of those things. We also believe in diversity of thought. And so show up to work and be yourself. Be your true, authentic, best self when you show up to work. And and we believe in that for each and in, each individual at Namely or go down those letters, you know, um, H stands for help each other. Yeah. If you, you don't know? mind just running through them. I, so I'm yeah. super curious about building culture. Yeah, and I'll, it's, uh, I'll, I'll run through all of them. Yeah, we'll um, love to. It's be yourself, expect excellence, help each other, unite around our mission, make our clients heroes, act as an owner and Namely cares. And so each of those means something to us in terms of behaviors and Every month at our all hands, we recognize actually peer-to-peer recognition and recognizing some really outstanding oh, nice. behaviors around yeah. our values. We recognize successes with our clients when you know we help them through something that and remember we're an HR company, so we're providing a platform in which HR professionals run their company. Right. And and we articulate our mission in life as a company to help build better workplaces. Workplaces are made up of what? people right and for people to reach their best potential there's more than just providing software that comes with that sure. it's all around that human connection and understanding how to help people get to that um, key potential they're trying to achieve so we live our values inside and then we really lean on our values to help us make decisions and guide us and what core problem or challenge do you view namely as solving for maybe medium-sized businesses with 100 to 1,000 employees, what do you view Namely as doing for them that nobody else is able to do? Well, thanks for asking, and I'll start with the customer pain point. So a customer of the profile you just described typically has one HR leader, maybe one person in the department. But although they're a small, quote-unquote, company, they usually have a pretty big mission. Sure. And they have all the problems of a big enterprise. They have to drive 
HR practices across their company. They have a diversified workforce. Um, They're geographically dispersed. They're trying to drive employee engagement. They're competing for talent with the biggest companies in the world. They're also the biggest creator of jobs in our country. So they're constantly, our customer's biggest problem is just filling their recs and and making sure their workforce is staffed with the right skill set. They have to pay their people, provide them with competitive benefits, make sure that they're communicating and connecting with their employees, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that's their pain point. And the reason that we're really excited at Namely for what we do is we try to put together a really comprehensive solution that's easy to use, that employees can engage with and take some of the burden off the HR professional. So our software platform provides easy, intuitive, beautiful, smart kind of experiences for HR administrators, HR leaders, and employees to engage with to, to help solve some of those problems I mentioned. Very cool. And uh, there's a study I read a while ago in Harvard Business Review where it estimated that the total problem with the hiring, recruiting, and retention market was somewhere on the order of $5 trillion. Does that sound too large to you? And obviously, like it's not exactly $5 trillion, but basically the article projected that the problem with recruiting, retention, training was that big of a problem in our larger economy. Yeah. How, how big do you think this problem is? And do you think it's something that is intractable or do you think it's something that it can be solved? I think this is a huge problem. You can put it in trillions or gazillions or whatever you sure. do, but it's a humongous problem. The demand and supply for our talent workforce is out of whack. Mm. And the companies that are going to win and the people that are going to win are the ones who can figure out how to do just what we're talking about is build a workplace people want to be a part of. Right. And so I think the challenge is not for HR professionals alone. It's for every leader, every manager, every C-suite executive, and it's in the CEO's office every single day. If the CEO doesn't have an engaged, committed workforce, you can't get anything done. Anything. Yeah. How do you think about structuring your day? So we talked earlier about basically just being adaptable, being able to change quickly. Uh, But how do you think about structuring your days for productivity? Do you have do you work with your executive assistant? Do you work with your team? Um, what's your tactical process like there? Well, that's (laughs) that's a great question, because I think many of us find ourselves traveling all the time or being in different places. So I could be in our New York office. I could be in our San Francisco office. I could be in our Atlanta office. I could be working from home. I could be on a plane. I could be on a train. And so the way that I approach how I spend my time is twofold. One, I have my long-term goals that I'm constantly focused on. Mm -hmm. And I want to know on a Sunday night, what am I doing for those? I have three goals that are long-term for the company. What am I doing this week to help with those three goals? So I got to make sure I'm spending time on that. And then it's the other things that come up. And how do you actually spend your time on those things as well as give your team members and your organization opportunities to work on things that help stretch them? Mm -hmm. So as things come into your office, usually when something comes to the CEO's desk that needs resolution, it's usually because it's hard. There's already been really smart people working on this problem. (laughs) Otherwise, it wouldn't have gotten to you, sure, right? And they've spent time in it and they've tried to collaborate. They've tried to come up with a solution. So I think, you know, what I try to do is spend time on, okay, if this problem made it to me, there's something thorny in here yeah. that is not easy to solve. Let's make sure we're getting to the source of the problem and then help 
facilitate along the way that you're not just deciding what needs to happen, but you're actually including your team members so that they can grow and develop through the resolution or the experience and how we're going to deal with this. And could you give us a couple examples of how do you uh, source good ideas and how do you maybe source controversial opinions? Because oftentimes what's stopping employees from solving something themselves or taking initiative is fear, right? Like they're afraid of maybe owning that issue and then having it fail. So how do you go about getting getting into the practice of actively listening? What are some examples of questions that you ask your team? Well, this brings um, a story to mind that I'll tell you about when I first joined Namely. Now, I already mentioned in the podcast that I'm over 50 years old and it just turned out at Namely, for whatever reason, the executive team tended to be in this older age group. Sure. But the age of our whole company tended to be a different generation, a younger worker um, from a different generation. Right. And I was noticing this the first couple of months being in the company of going like, there's a different (laughs) viewpoint on things that comes from the generational gap alone. Forget all the other great reasons why you have diversified thought. This alone I might, although I'm talking about active listening, I might not be listening to the right stuff. Right. And am I hearing from the right people? So um, we created what we thought was an experiment at the time, which was a reverse mentor program. So every executive on the team. That's such a good idea. The idea was a sign of what I called at the time a reverse mentor, someone within the organization, by definition, not an executive at all, someone doing a really important job for the company who's on the ground, working in the culture every single day and knows what's really going on. Sure. And so we took the idea and then said, well, how are we going to assign people and who are the right people and how do we get this off the ground? So we put out a note on on our Namely product because we have a ability to talk to the whole company through posts. And so we put out a post and said, does anybody want to volunteer to be a reverse mentor to me and to each of the executives who report to me? Well, we got (laughs) 60 plus volunteers. Oh, very cool. And we only had, I don't know, nine or 10 executives. So what do we do? So we went through and we, um, everybody wrote a little blurb on what they would have to offer. And we went through, we created a a rotational program every six months. We're just coming to the end of our first six month um, the assignment. The fact that it's a rotational program is, is so great. Well, we too. wanted everyone, everyone who volunteered, we wanted them to have. They have something to say. They, they volunteered uh, yeah, for a so reason. Yeah, so we want to listen yeah. and we want to hear. But yeah. And it actually turned out like, for example, I have four reverse mentors because I couldn't choose. I didn't want to just have one person from one department. So I get together with my reverse mentors and one of them is a, is a sales leader. One of them is an operational associate. One of them is a, a an engineer. Um, one of them is a, is a staff person. And right. we get together, we talk about company issues and they start talking and that's the biggest learning I can have all week, all month, all quarter. Yeah, and so every imagine. one of my executives has either one or multiple reverse mentors. And it I did it didn't start out like this, but it's ended up like this, which was super fruitful was each executive's reverse mentor does not come from their own organization. So for example, my oh, CTO's mentor yeah. is a salesperson. That's great. Yeah. So now all of a sudden he's in these conversations with someone who's trying to sell the product he's building every day right. and can give him incredibly fast feedback 
that wouldn't happen if he didn't have a relationship with this person who, by the way, of course, is not at headquarters, is out in the field. It's much more and honest feedback than he might otherwise receive. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. And um, and and so on and so on. Every executive has, like I said, one or more reverse mentors who are outside their org. And um, we're about to come to a close of the first cohort. I'm excited about getting assigned new mentors, but I'm also pretty sad because I've gotten some great value out of my four mentors. And the other thing I know is that even though they won't be my official mentors in the program anymore, I'll absolutely go to them. Sure. And I hope that they'll and come they feel to comfortable me. too. Yeah, exactly. Because like you can say you have an open door policy too, but how many people take advantage of it? How many people are like bursting in uh, in the morning? So Our this, next all hands as a company, I, I turned the all hands over to my reverse mentors. So they're running it. I Very can't cool. wait to see what they do. And we still have a small team right now. Um, so it's 10 full-time people, 15 if you count contractors, but we want to start doing something similar. I'm going to get started on this right after the podcast because I think that's uh, awesome. We just had a team offsite and it was re- it was interesting because we basically had a, this thing occurring where everyone was bringing to us the real challenges and yes. like there, a lot of the, a lot of the stuff that we didn't know about, we had no idea about and it not problems, like opportunities yes. where people every single person on the team had basically spotted some type of unique opportunity that because of their background, we just didn't, I had no idea. I couldn't predict this. So we have to implement something similar. Do well, you, I think that's um, a really huge learning. And the earlier in your career that you can have this learning or take this learning from people's advice is that you can't see everything in your point of view right is not the truth. It is sure. only your truth. Got to triangulate and to the to get you've there. You've got to seek out others' point of views to sure. really understand what's going on, which ultimately provides the best experience to your customers. And that's what helps you grow. Definitely agree. So when it comes to outside of work, you mentioned that you aren't doing too many things, but let's, uh, I'm going to push back a little bit when you, when you said that. So do you make time for reading, for learning? Do you have any guilty pleasures? Like, are you watching a series or anything like that? Um, well, my, my, what I do with my quote unquote extra time is definitely centered around my two teenage children, um, which is awesome and always a good dose of, of real life. Um, the second thing I do with my time is, um, swim. So I, I try to swim a mile three times a week and it is my time where, you know, if you've ever you know, swam laps, you know that there's absolutely nothing you can do except <laughs> listen to yourself. Yeah. I mean, nothing. I mean, there are things that you can put music on sure. and go underwater. But if you really just get in the water and start swimming, it's my, I think for me, it's my meditative time. It's my time to reflect. It's my time where my mind can go and sort of relax and think about the things that are important to sure. me. And so it's great exercise keeps me, you know, invigorated, but it's also good for my mind. And I, um, I'm addicted to it. I go back to it time and time again. Do you find yourself solving things or like racing out of the pool to write things down? Oh, or absolutely. As a matter of fact, um, sometimes I'm so into it. I'm my favorite stroke is the backstroke. Sure. So at least two times <laughs> during my mile lap, I'm banging my head <laughs> on the back of the, um, of the pool because I'm lost in thought sure. and yeah. I miss the flags and I miss everything. Yeah. Um, and I, and, and literally bang my head to come back to reality. So it's a, it's awesome for me. I've never really been into mindfulness or yoga or some of the things that maybe more 
prominent in our in our lifestyle today. And I've always yeah. felt like, oh, I'm missing out. I found my thing in swimming. Yeah. I think if you find your thing and it's working, you have to just do that because yeah. it's so hard for some people to build any type of exercise practice where whatever it is, like if it's weightlifting, like don't beat yourself up if it's not yoga, if it's not you know, my quote you unquote mindfulness. Fi- you got to find your yeah, thing. You and for me, work. it's all wrapped up. The exercise, the mindfulness, the Same. meditative yeah. state, the, it's all wrapped up in doing those laps. Yeah. And when it comes to advice for other leaders or up and coming executives, do you have any? Do you have any like favorite advice that you like to give or do you steer away from giving advice or offering no, advice? No, no. I, my, I have, um, I have advice, and I, I've got kind of got two levels of it, and they're sure. very, it's very simple. For whatever reason, I see this a lot in our fast, fast, fast culture in our country, and I would just say, do your homework. Sure. There's just so much that happens today where people are not informed. Don't do their homework. Don't read the assignment before they show up to the meeting. Don't Agreed. have an agenda for their meeting. Don't know the purpose of the customer's pain point. Do your homework. It is worth it, and it's respectful, and sure. it really creates everyone around you to be more productive. And it's um, I love seeing when people do their homework, and unfortunately, we don't see it enough. So, so I would say that's my first thing. My second thing is, and I. I hope to provide, you know, coaching or opportunities for uh, women in tech. Mm-hmm. And that is express your point of view. Sure. There's too many times in a meeting where um, you don't feel you can express your point of view or you're nervous about expressing your point of view. But if you do number one, well, right. go for number two, express your point of view, speak out and speak up mm-hmm. because your ideas and the way that you can contribute totally matters. Are there any tips that you have for somebody who's listening right now that says, I know an idea, I, there's something I want to say, but I've just been holding back. I'm scared to say it. Any any tips or yeah. advice you have for them? Yeah, it, it's back to do your homework and it, it's more along the lines of practice. Right. So it can be intimidating and you have that moment of, I really wanted to speak out or speak up and I couldn't, I didn't know how, I didn't know how it was going to receive. Find a mentor, find a friend, find a boss, find a friendly advocate and sure. say, hey, this is what I was going to say. Here's how I was going to say it. What right. do you think? Give me some feedback. Practice, practice, practice. Because that role playing, I mean, it goes back to your starting in sales. Like I, I used to love the role playing because you would, any type of anxiety, you could basically get rid of it by just practicing with a coworker or maybe an advisor or someone like that. So, and that's exactly how I, as you say, kind of grew up in sales is sure. role play the hard thing. So I right. don't think it just applies to sales. If you're nervous, if you're not sure, even go beyond that in your role playing and say, hey, I want to role play with you and I want you to make it really hard for me. Right. Be as prepared for as hard as it can get. Sure. Usually it doesn't actually get that hard. So basically ask them to be belligerent though. Yeah. Yeah. Ask them to be belligerent. And as a worst case, you have all your uh, scary situations covered. And here's the thing that's funny is that people don't ask for help enough. Right. And usually when you ask a mentor, a friend, a friendly manager, a VP, a C- they're thrilled to help. They're not asked as much as you would think. And so the answer is usually, I would love to. Right. Let's do that over coffee. Let's go to lunch. And it's the beginning of yet another kind of very valuable relationship in your network. Such good advice. And uh, final thought, I was hoping you could leave everyone with a maybe like a five-year view of if everything at Namely is successful if you hit those three goals that you mentioned what does the future look like for you for the company and what does the future of work look like if namely is successful on the scale 
at which it currently is, but just projected out five years, 10 years. Yeah. I mean, we, I think our mission says it all in building better workplaces. And if we can do what we're trying to do with our product, our service, our ability to have relationships with these customers, they are the fuel to our economy. Agreed. They are opening these jobs. They are the ones that are making things happen for us. And if we can help them build better workplaces, retain their talent, um, attract talent, um, create engaged employee communities, then we are on the path for really helping not only their companies be successful, but to create a successful ecosystem. I couldn't agree more. And with that, we'll see everyone next time. Mission Daily and all of our podcasts are created with love by our team at mission.org. We own and operate a network of podcasts and a brand and story studio designed to accelerate learning. Our clients include companies like Salesforce, they're a customer times five, Twilio, and Katera, who work with us because we produce results. To learn more and get our case studies, check out mission.org slash studios. If you're tired of media and news that promotes fear, uncertainty, and doubt, and if you want an antidote to all that chaos, you're at the right place. Subscribe here and to our daily newsletter at mission.org. Each morning, you'll get a newsletter that will help you start your morning and your day off right. Hey, listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word, and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time.